Hello and welcome to The Fundamentalist, the fandom podcast investigating all aspects of geeky media. Oh no, this is all my fault. There's something else at the core of my unhappiness that, that I didn't realize. When did that become a bad thing? I'm not dead. It seems I'm the only one with a mind of my own. Go, go. I would not wish you back again. I am not going to dump another thousand-year-old complex on you or anybody else. Welcome to the I Disappoint Dad Club. That theme song you just heard is Good Riddance by R. Sonar, available on the Free Music Archive. My name is Kylie, and here with me are Gretchen. Hello. And Julia. Hey. The three of us write for thefundamentals.com, the website for fundamentally sound fandom analysis. Be sure to stop by and check us out to see all of our news and reviews and podcasts. And yep, that that, that pretty much covers most of it. Just a lot of analysis. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, if you like the good work that we do on our website, then you might want to consider becoming a Fundamentals Plus subscriber. That's right. If you go to thefundamentals.com and click on the little word icon button, whatever that says FM Plus, it's right at the top. Then you will be taken to a page where for just $3 a month, you can get access to all sorts of exclusive content. That is editor-only essays, live hangouts, where you can prompt us with questions, podcasts, and is that it? There's other things sometimes, just videos that we make. Video essays. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from that, mad sorry we missed last week. I was visiting family and, like, forgot to tell anyone or plan for it. <laughs> so, it's not like you have a life or anything. Yeah, but normally I'm a little bit better about being like, okay, what do I have to take care of before I have this life? But no. That's no. true. It's fine. It was it was good. It was a good quick trip. Anyway, we are back, and a lot has happened since we last talked oh to one another. For starters, and this just came out like yesterday, so uh, you guys will be a few <laughs> days by the time you're listening to it, but uh, Henry Cavill's Witcher costume was revealed in this kind of awkward video of him moving around in it, and a lot of people think it looks like bad Legolas cosplay. Yeah, there I've seen so many I think many it looks memes. like good Legolas cosplay. <laughs> I think one. I think someone reacted like, "Oh, did they break out the Viserys wig?" Like, <laughs> I actually think this is better Rhaegar cosplay than that like fake I Viserys mean. that we got in season <laughs> seven. Yeah, I think you're not wrong about that. Um, I also think that like we're really not gonna know how silly it looks until we see it in the movie because lighting and stuff, like mm-hmm. um. Batwoman, her costume is real too. I we think we talked about this last time. And honestly, the pictures kind of just make it look like cosplay. Not in like a bad way. It's just that's the lighting. So yeah. maybe that's just because so many cosplayers are so talented that it probably their is. standard is so high. <laughs> I think you're yeah, I think you're onto something there. Cause I've seen like some like really, really good cosplay, like some of which is better than like actual costuming that I have seen on actual TV shows. For sure. Um <clears throat> Marjorie's wig. Um, <laughs> not to name names. That was just Either a cop. way, leave Henry Cavill alone or don't because he's very uncharismatic, but we'll just see how Witcher shapes up. Speaking of charisma, Lena Dunham. Was- oh my gosh. I was thinking of things nobody wanted. <laughs> 
I mean, I don't know. I think a Witcher movie could be cool. I definitely don't want Lena Dunham, tapped by J.J. Abrams and Steven Spielberg, to adapt a non-fiction novel about Syrian refugees. Like, in what world was this a good idea? Like, I really don't understand. If there's I- one thing Lena Dunham is known for, it's her political sensitivity. Right? Like I'm kidding. And there, there's there's clearly no, no I mean like, like I know. It's like she's there's no female directors in the entire like Arab world that could do this better. No, of clearly. course not. <sighs> Gosh. Or like, like when I first anyone. saw it, I thought it was like an onion headline. I was like, this sounds absurd. <laughs> this is probably fake, but no, it's not. It's I wanna real. know why JJ Abrams and Steven Spielberg are tapping her at all. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, that's great. Good job, that's- Lena Dunham. Good, good for her, I guess. Um, I'm gonna say, speaking of things no one wanted, and bite me, Gretchen. <laughs> but Idris Elba is in <laughs> final negotiations for the film adaptation of the famous Andrew Lloyd Webber musical Cats, starring Jennifer Hudson, James Corden, Ian uh-huh. McClellan, and Taylor uh-huh. Swift. That list just got crazier and crazier right. as you went on. Yep. Yeah, Jennifer Huston, you're like, okay, yeah, she she can sing. Like, this makes sense. James Corden, he's just cast in everything musical these days. Fine. Yep. Yep. Ian McClellan and Taylor Swift. It's like, I, yeah, I'm still super curious about who Sir Ian McClellan is going to play. Because, like, who, wh- who is, I don't the know. The noble cat. That's just, like, see, and Kylie said, that she didn't want to offend me because Cats was my favorite musical for, like, most of my high school. I'm kind of ashamed about it, but also kind of not because I thought it was, like, just delightful and fun, even if it doesn't have a plot, but it's based on a book of poems. So, but I don't know. This just, like, I read it and I was like, what the hell is this? Like, wh- <laughs> why? Wh- I don't know what is going on. This doesn't feel real to me. Well, Th- that list of names altogether is just, like, did someone is someone playing Mad Libs? Are they just, like, grabbing names out of a hat? <laughs> Yeah, that's what it feels like. I honestly think, like, for Cats, it's a musical review. That's fine. You just go into it expecting that. If you enjoy it, if you don't, there's a thematic tie to it. It's a book of poems about cats that was turned into a quote-unquote musical, but it's a review. Uh, For a film adaptation, what I'm worried is that they're going to try to, like, force a plot. Oh, yeah, of course they are. So I'm just wondering what that plot will even be. (laughs) I mean, it will involve Grisabella, of course, because that's, like, the only thematic Mm. tie to the story is (laughs) Grisabella, Grisabella, the sex worker cat. She, that's what she is. She's a sex yeah, worker cat. Yeah, no, I know. Um, and I'm, sh- I'm just trying know. to figure out what the cat economy is like. That there's sex workers in it. <laughs> I don't know. Well, there's the Jellicle Ball, right? Uh, and they all attend, so they're like socialite. I don't. I don't know. Maybe she's like ostracized from from cat society. <laughs> um. Okay, moving on. Oh. There is a new Penny Dreadful series that is going to be set in 1930s LA called City okay. of Angels, and it's in production. Some people like th- those kinds of shows. Uh-huh. I'm not a big horror fan. I'm no, a wimp, so. But to all of like- our listeners who like horror, I- there you go. Have fun. Well, I know. I guess... I like the new Sabrina the Teenage Witch series, and that's technically horror, right? Oh, see, I haven't watched it yet. It's definitely worth a watch. Okay, that's good. It's nothing like, like, nothing even remotely like the original series. Like, not even, like, there's a character called Sabrina in it, and she's a witch. That's about it. And she has ants? 
I think. Yeah, and she has a boyfriend named Harvey. Oh, okay. sure. <laughs> hey, okay. speaking of the CW, <laughs> did you like that one? Yeah. Um, Azzy Tesfe, did I say that right? I believe so. Okay, joins the season four cast of Supergirl as Kelly Olsen, Jimmy's sister. What? He has a sister? Apparently a sister he's never talked about. Man, they're not close, I guess. Oh, and the CD, the CW has issued a casting call for Lex. Okay. Because of course they have. <sighs> Yay! I wonder if Lita's going to join him in oh his endeavors. God. Fuck that shit. Ian McGregor is joining the Birds of Prey cast, meanwhile, as the villain oh. Black Mask. I like Ian McGregor. He can play anything he wants. They'll be fine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I hope this doesn't interfere with him playing Obi-Wan. Because he has to play Obi Wan, like there's no like there's no other option for an Obi Wan. At some point, they're going to milk that. I'm sure. I really want like the lost years of Obi Wan on the desert. Oh yeah, (laughs) he's just like chilling out in the desert, like watching Luke grow up. Well, because some fucking idiot put him there at the very end of Revenge of the Sith in the same Uh, clothes he'll be in 19 years later. Right? You mean his official Jedi robes? But, but, like, why does no one then think of him? Like, if they're... That's another thing I don't get. If they're his official Jedi wombs, why does no one recognize them as official yeah, Jedi Yeah, and robes? why does every farmer on Tatooine wear them? The, um... The Aronauts actually addressed that, where they, like, pull them over for being dressed like a Jedi, and they're like, I'm sorry, is this guy not dressed a Jedi, like a Jedi? And the other Sandtrip is like, yeah, yeah, you know, the robes. <laughs> and then, uh, they deny it, and they're like, so you're just saying you got out of bed and accidentally dressed exactly like a Jedi? <laughs> yes. If you say you're not it, then you're not it. Oh, man. Anyway, That's speaking of DC Comics, kind of, I mean, Birds of Prey, it's DC. Uh, they're mm. launching a series entitled The Other History of the DC Universe, and that's focused on exploring the mythology from the point of view of historically disenfranchised in society, which I think could be pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I'm especially yeah, especially because it's uh, Oscar-winning screenwriter John Ridley, who did um, American Crime, 12 Years of Slave, as the one writing it. Yep. Yeah, and so, they're going to do, like, Katana from Suicide Squad, Renee Montoya, Black Lightning. That's amazing. Right? Well, it's- I mean, you anything that just has Renee Montoya in it, I'm going to say is amazing. <laughs> but it's amazing. Yay, it's got Renee. Um, uh, so, yeah, I think that'll be cool. Yeah, speaking of not amazing. Um, so... Game of Thrones prequel hirings. So this prequel is set like 10,000 years before the events of A Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Yeah. And according, according to George R. R. Martin himself, the title is officially The Long Night. So it's about The Long Night. And that's like, what, Copper Age, Bronze Age equivalent? Uh, yeah. They didn't have, yeah. Me- me- they didn't have iron. They only they had bronze iron. swords. We know yeah, that. Yeah. So Bronze Age. Um, so Naomi Watts was cast to play the lead. A socialite with a dark secret. What? I guess by socialite, like, it's a casting call, right? They probably just, like, mean, like, an aristocrat or something. Right. Okay. It's just funny to call... I don't think of, like, the Bronze Age as having socialites. I don't Maybe. even think of the Middle Ages as having socialites. Yeah. Uh, so it, this this also casts uh, Josh Whitehouse from Poldark to play something or other. They don't know. Um, they just announced that they hired him. I have seen Paul Dark. I do not remember this fellow. So I think he's the main I... guy, or one of no. the main guys. No, not in the first couple of seasons. I just know that, like, I, I had a couple of um, 
friends who were flipping out because they were like, oh my God, he's so fucking hot. And I was like, uh, okay, he looks pretty generic to me. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, what's his face? Uh, oh my God, I can't remember it now. The hot hobbit from The Hobbit. He plays Poldark. <laughs> Oh, Keely, the actor plays yeah. Yeah, that that's Poldark. Um I guess he's a character in like season three on or something. I stopped watching it once my mom stopped making me. Oh, in Poldark. Okay. Yeah. And uh yeah, so whatever. Hot dude from Poldark and Naomi Watts are gonna be in the long night. Okay. I mean, like, I just I'm so like just confused by this project and why it exists. I okay, here's my I think it exists because the show has so badly fucked up the magic and the mythology and everything about, you know, all of that, that this show exists basically as almost a retcon. Okay, I'll take it. I don't see why, like... Can Naomi Watts be a uh, White Walker socialite? (laughs) Maybe she'll be the Night Queen. Maybe. That's her dark secret. Or she becomes it. Um, But yeah, like, I have a feeling that this is meant to be like, oh, right, the show has been, like, royally screwing up with, like, all of the mythology and backstory and, like, everything about, like, the long – basically, like, everything about the White Walkers and the Long Night. So that's my theory. I don't know if that's true. But, like, my theory is is that uh, the show is is not doing so well with depicting what Martin actually wants. And so this exists to, like, correct – I just want Winds of Winter. I know, that's true. I, I, I'm starting to sound like that kind of fan, but... But I we're getting Fire it. and Blood. Yeah. I'm actually Tarks, excited yeah. about Fire and Blood, because Queen Alisande, like, have you read the excerpt? Well, that's because yeah. you're hanging out with, like, the cool mythology people in the fandom. I'm not sure that you can say that sentence and have it be taken seriously. I meant it seriously. <laughs> like, cool mythology people is... I feel like that's an oxymoron. Well, like, I think, a I think, person. I think we're cool, but like in the objective, like, you know, societal sense, we are not at all the cool kids. Well, you're definitely the chill kids and that goes for the Sacrifice and Fire fandom. So, yeah, I think, I think, well, I like good Queen Alisanne a lot. Cause she's, I don't know. I think she was a little, I think she's interesting. Yeah. I mean, she was a little like, you know. I really like Rhaenyra. I hope we get a lot about the Dance of Dragons because I have really strong feelings about Rhaenyra. Yeah, we've already had a, quite a bit about the Dance of Dragons, though. That's true. We got the Princess and the Queen. Anyway, so. Prince. Anyway, yeah. Uh, uh, what's next? Oh, oh, this is one that, like, actually, <laughs> one of my professors told me about this. Um, so Orson Welles, his final unfinished film called The Other Side of Wind, uh, is coming out tomorrow, so it will be a couple of days ago, because uh, huh. magical time warp. Um, yep. So it began filming in the, in 1970. They finished principal filming in 76, but after Wells died, like, the film basically, like, literally sat, like, moldering and falling apart in, like, warehouses in Paris. Oh. Until recently. Um, and so, like, the director and the producers, like, picked it up, and it's, like, a mockumentary-style satire. Yeah, like satire of like new hollywood avant-garde filmmakers of the 70s oh my god that's hilarious i know so he's just like mercilessly ripping into roman polanski for yeah basically but this has to be like the not the first but one of the first mockumentaries probably 
So I'm I'm really excited. Um, yeah, I want to go see it because I think it's really cool. Um, yeah. They revived this movie like forty, no thirty. That almost, is really almost forty cool. years later. Yeah. You know what's not really cool is the last piece of news. <laughs> I put this in here just for you, Kylie. <laughs> it was announced, guys. It was announced, and I just sighed so hard that Tris got disturbed and sat up. Fuller House season four will premiere on December fourteenth of this year. I'm gonna have to watch this stupid thing again. Okay, so it's your fault that they keep making new ones because you keep watching it. I keep watching it, and then I keep writing reviews that are literally titled "This is the Fullery Houseiest Season Yet." <laughs> Oh my god, I'm not prepared. I don't even remember what happened. I think Kimmy is pregnant with Yeah, Kimmy's pregnant with Steph's, Steph's baby. baby. I remember yeah. that. And the Beach Boys were doing their laundry at the Smash Club, which is now a laundromat. I really I love that. that that's a sentence that came out of her mouth. That Kimmy yeah. is having Steph's baby. Steph's baby. That's great. I, I honestly would ship them if it meant that they weren't in the hetero relationships that they're in right now. Like, <laughs> I don't care how weird their dynamic is. I, I could see something there. But then, uh, what's her face? DJ, who plays her? Can- Candace, Candace uh, yeah. She, she would probably not be cool with it. <laughs> so. Probably not. Yeah. So anyway. Be fun. It will be fun. Tune in this Christmas season and Hanukkah season for Kylie to be. Talking I'm definitely about. going to review it because that's just my lot in life. <laughs> I mean, you could step down. That is also a possibility. Yeah, you could like not review it. I don't really that's see that as an option, but thank you. Okay. Anyway, I didn't announce what this episode's going to be about, so now you're going to find out. Have you ever watched something so bad it's good? Fuller House is not in that category, but we have watched a bunch of movies and TV shows that are so bad we love them. And we're going to be discussing them in two segments. And in between, we're going to be talking about good use of trope, bad use of trope with Damsel in Distress. Hooray! That's our show! Woo! Scott, tell me this guy doesn't look like a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, he's got but the robe. It's, it's like almost a subculture these days on the internet, especially, of people watching bad movies and enjoying themselves. <laughs> like, I guess that's the entire conceit behind Mystery Science Theater 3000, right? That just, oh, for like, sure. Yeah. yeah. There's some kind of intrinsic entertainment value in watching people fail at entertainment. Yeah. That's a good yeah, way of putting I mean, it. And I, I would say it's much different than hate watching, too. It's important yeah. To, yeah. to draw that line. Um, hate watching is that it's... Yeah, like Game of Thrones. And that's not so bad. It's good. <laughs> I mean, I would say parts of season five are that, but then the other parts are just very not that. Yes. Yeah. So bad it's Very good not is that like is an apt description. Yeah, it's like this is really bad, but I am still enjoying my time watching this. I'm not angry that I watched it. In fact, I'm actually really glad that I watched that thing that was really terrible. In fact, yeah, I will seek well, it out. Yeah. yeah, there's like this whole like it's either like the creators trying really hard to say something or do something effectively and they're just doing it badly, or mm-hmm. it's so lazy it takes your breath away with its audacity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Like, the room is definitely the category one, where the director yeah. set out to do something, and it was like an art film, and what? <laughs> and then category two, what's what's something you can think of that was super lazy? I think maybe... Oh, True Lies. <laughs> <laughs> I've 
fucking love that movie so much. <laughs> no, zero hesitation on Julia's part in naming that movie. Oh that was God. great. No, like when when somebody asks me, what's your guilty pleasure movie? That's my really my response. True Lies. Oh, wow. I love it. Really? Mm-hmm. I think, I think that's fair. Um, and yeah. yeah, I mean, spy movies, like, there's so many lazy James Bond movies. Oh, I yeah. Just describing the plot of Live and Let Die to anyone, like. Yeah. Which is the one, which is the one with the, with the medium. The medium? Yeah. That's, or not the, oh, yeah, not the medium. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's yeah, yeah solitaire. Oh, yeah. yeah. Jane Seymour. She's a chase. Yeah, the one, the one with the black people uh, who are all in a giant, like, global oh, conspiracy that involves all black people. Yeah, they're it's, all evil, but. <laughs> it's all a racist stereotype. Right. Well, the, and the main plotline is, is, is that there's this guy who's a dictator of an <laughs> island, but he wants to get rich on his opium. So he decides it's, to yeah. open up soul food restaurants in America and give out free That's heroin right. and get people hooked on it and then drive out the business, like the competition of heroin, and then sell his heroin for even more money. It's like, dude, you already have an island. Right. You're a dictator. What do you need? Yeah, like- and the island's name is like Santa Monique or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like this like very hilarious mix of like French and Spanish. Well, yeah. and like he, like Bond literally like fucks her mystical powers away yes yes yeah, she's a virgin <laughs> and then he has sex with her and she can't read the tarot cards anymore oh poor jane seymour yeah poor jane seymour <laughs> like but those but the thing is i do get a lot of enjoyment watching james bond movies even though they're yes. terrible they're horrible oh, movies yeah. like most of them are eject- like yeah they're misogynistic they're racist they're bad the whole roger moore era is just so yeah. fantastic the whole roger moore era is like yeah that's like when it was just really lazy and you're like, who came up with these stories? Like, the one where there's the one where they go to space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Moonraker. Whichever one it is where he's got like the magnet in his hand that he uses to like unzip the lady's dress. Like, oh, 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 oh shit. What I don't remember which who, one that. I think that's Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah. We're like, um, we're supposed to be so impressed that instead of using his fingers, he like oh, wait. puts no, a magnet. I'm sorry. That's like, Man with the Golden Gun. It's just like, oh, I guess you can't just unzip a dress like a normal person. I think Isn't that Man of the Golden Gun the one where he like has sex with a lesbian and then she's straight? Nope, that's that's a uh, Sean Connery one. That's actually Goldfinger. <laughs> that's Goldfinger, okay. Mm-hmm. Pussy Galore is, in the novels was a lesbian. Which is different from the Man of the Golden Gun. I got confused by the golden Man with the Golden Gun. Okay. You know, her name actually makes sense now. I've never read the books, but like I never understood why you would name a character Pussy Galore. Well, I mean, there's also a character in a later Bond film named Plenty O'Toole. Right, but, like, that actually makes sense in a straight context. Oh, And okay. there's Jenny Flex. But, like, right? Pussy Galore never did. <laughs> I like Holly Goodhead from Moonraker. Oh, my gosh. Strawberry um, Fields. I would say the best bad Roger Moore movie is without a question of you to a kill, because, first of all, Christopher <laughs> oh, wow. Walken is the bad guy. Yes! And, like, Roger, Roger Moore is, like, 80 years yeah, old. It's like, yep. He's like an octogenarian filming this because this yep. man would not retire. Yep. It's the laziest plot. There's like this intense intrigue around horse steroids and yeah. that Christopher Walken may have been injected with horse steroids, but then the main plot is blowing up Silicon Valley and it's disconnected. Yeah. And the Bond girl is like 20 and it's just, oh my God, it's so bad. 
so bad. Along those lines, anyway, Gretchen, buy- what are your gr- yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say this. This feeds perfectly into some of my favorite so bad it's good movies, which are like the transporter and mechanic movies starring Jason <laughs> Statham. Like, okay, so my partner has a huge crush on Jason Statham, and so I have seen these movies like multiple times, multiple <laughs> times that I have seen. Like, I've seen all of the transporter movies at least twice. Oh my god. Um. Except for the ones that don't have Jason Statham because there was apparently one that didn't. Or maybe there was a TV show that didn't. I can't remember. But – Why would you want to watch that? Um, but, like, they're the same kinds of thing. They're just, like, over-the-top action movies where, like, Jason Statham just, like, half the spends, like, at least a quarter of the time shirtless. And, you know, Jason Statham, he's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, like, gruff and angry – like, gruff and angry looking. Like – they're not good movies. Like the plots are really paper thin. Um, <laughs> like they're they have a lot of similarities with like the female characters who are just like, oh, you're conveniently attractive and and want to fuck him. Um, like they're they're not great movies, but like I really enjoy watching them because they're they're really terrible. And sometimes, oh, I've also seen like the Crankshaft movies, which are also Jason Statham. Those are really bad, like really bad. Mm-hmm. But also in the same way, James Bond is enjoyable. It's just like oh, okay, so that's what you're doing now. And this dialogue doesn't make sense and it's really bad. And and the plot, I guess, requires <laughs> that this, you know, that you shoot up a strip joint. Okay, sure. Why not? That's the thing that happens, I guess, in real life. <laughs> and the crankshaft ones are like, he has this, probably. like, his heart is so strong. Those are like that, like the whole premise of the second movie, especially is like, he has this really super powerful heart, so he literally, like, his heart gets taken out of his chest at the beginning of the second Crankshaft movie. Um, and, like, given to, like, there's this mob boss who, uh, is dying, and so he wants a new heart, and so he's like, oh, I'll take this, you know, other guy's really powerful, super strong heart, and that <laughs> way I won't die. And so he gets this, like, temporary heart put in his chest, but it runs on a battery, so, like, every, like, certain amount so of time. It's like Iron Man. Yeah, he has to, like, charge up his heart, and at one point he literally attaches, like, um, like, the things you use to jumpstart a car to, like, his nipples to, like, <laughs> juice up his heart. Jesus. It's so bad. What it's the hell? It's so bad. But they are really delightful. Action movies are just so good for, like, bad movies. Oh, yeah. There's mm-hmm. so many. Also, um, um, like, modern, like, intentionally bad, like, C or D grade monster movies, like Sharknado. I don't know. There's something about the artifice of intentional badness that turns me off. Yeah, See, same. Thank you. Which is weird because I really enjoy – I didn't think I was going to enjoy any – there are like five Sharknado movies. Um, and I've seen a couple of them and also one of the spinoffs called Lava Lantula. <laughs> <laughs> which is I'm about not ask. spiders made of lava. Like I'm not even joking. It's <laughs> spiders made of lava um, that come out of the earth and attack cities. And – there's just, like, a tongue-in-cheekness to it that I enjoy, that they're like, we know that this is ridiculous and we're going to lean into it. It's, like, intentionally super campy and, dun- like, campy. Yeah. And I enjoy that. But I, I do agree a little bit with Julia. I need it to be accidentally bad. Yeah, for exactly. For me to really like or at it. Least, or at least just, like, not giving a shit. So, speaking of not giving a shit, can I talk about my favorite genre of bad movies that are so good it's a genre now (laughs) oh yes so these are the mary kate and ashley films here's the thing about mary kate and ashley is that they actually started out obviously on full house but um 
after that, like, they were decent actors as 10-year-olds and preteens and stuff. Like, they could emote... They could deliver lines. They actually had a bit of humor to them. So Mary-Kate National movies, things like Billboard Dad, even Passport to Paris, they're at least like there's effort there. But once they hit winning London and they're like <laughs> 15, it just all starts to go to hell. And I don't know if it's the presence of the love interest. Cause, okay, so winning London is where they go and do model UN in England, which is just wonderful in and of itself. And Chase from House is in it. He's a romantic interest. But then after that, mm. you've got the beautiful, the wonderful holiday in the sun, <laughs> which was literally just them going on vacation to the Bahamas. And I yeah, think just like filming, yeah, filming in this specific named resort. Uh-huh. That got so much free publicity, and just like like a, at least like a seventh of the movie is just like publicity shots of this specific named resort in the Bahamas. Oh yeah, for sure. They, they like obviously have <laughs> so to just do like play the real that they play in the lobby. Like, and then the- I'm yeah. saying my favorite is getting there. Getting there is <laughs> far better than Holiday in the Sun, in my opinion. Not just because of the lesbian coming of age story in the middle of it. <laughs> Because Holiday in the Sun is funny in that, like, in the last 20 minutes, they were like, oh, hey, do you think this movie needs a plot? So they just threw one in, and the plot is that, like, some dude was smuggling antiquities, and they have to chase it down, or else Ashley's boyfriend goes to jail. Um, So that was Holiday in the Sun. The adult who's, like, macking on the 15-year-old for the whole movie? Yeah, that one. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. so that's Holiday in the Sun. But getting there, the... The plot is just they're trying to go to the Salt Lake City Olympics because they yeah. just turned 16 and got a car that their rich parents bought for them. The rich parents who like tolerate things like them taking like multiple flights and like <laughs> a cab ride from San Diego to LA. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, because, like, they get the car stolen, so yeah. then they're like, okay. And then there's weather, so all the flights are canceled, and the boys end up in Santa Barbara picking strawberries with migrant workers. <laughs> that was an odd turn. And then Ashley accidentally has a lesbian coming-of-age story in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> that, okay. I'm not, I recut the, tra- I'll link it, I recut the trailer as, like, a lesbian coming-of-age story, or, like, clips of it as if it was a trailer for that. But she literally... They're, they're abandoned in this town somewhere around LA. I don't know. It's like a desert town. They took a bus somewhere. Yeah, well, for the, apparently there's no way to get from LA to South Lake City with any kind of convenience. Oh, right. Cause apparently. they had to go to Vegas and then they overshot Vegas on this bus. So whatever. It's this, what? it's yeah. this like cruddy worn down town and Ashley walks mm-hmm. into this bar and there's this girl in flannel <laughs> playing the piano and then she stops playing and goes with a bandana. I must be dreaming or you're a mirage because no one my age ever comes in here. <laughs> and then there's this whole thing where Ashley thinks she's poor because yeah. she drives this like really bad truck. So she offers to like send her she care packages. Dri- oh, her name is Charlie and she drives a truck named <laughs> Old Rusty. Yeah. And then it turns out that her dad owns all the like orange groves in all of California or something like that. And like Ashley has no love interest in this film whatsoever. Yeah. And uh, in fact, there's a guy that's like kind of hitting on her and she's like, no. And then she meets Charlie and it's like everything just starts to make sense. And she's like, this is our savior, Charlie. And yeah, I don't know. 
They uh, they end up convincing Charlie to go to school with them afterwards. So yeah. if you want a lesbian loving of coming of age story and absolutely no plot direction, <laughs> getting there is the Mary Kate National movie for you. I haven't even told you about the challenge, Julia. One of these days. <laughs> One of these days. Tell me about Attack of the Clones since you put it in your notes. Oh, yeah. I actually read an article a while back called Attack of the Clones and Ironic Enjoyment. There's people who say that uh, Revenge of the Sith is definitely the best prequel. And I'm super confused by that one because it's just walking and talking and a bad over John fight. So I've always picked Attack of the Clones because like what happens is ridiculous and melodrama, but it's really funny. Like, the love story is hilarious. The bug arena scene is hilarious. I mean, every part of this movie is just so, like, there's a, there's a 50s diner. Yeah, oh gosh, yeah, yeah that you scene is about really the 50s weird. Diner. And the guy, like, has all these extra hands to pull up his pants. Hey, old buddy. Is this the one with, uh, Sleaze Bagano? <laughs> I I can never remember. The character that they meet in, like, the club. Oh! You want to buy some death sticks? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is this one. That's his name. (laughs) His name is literally Sleaze Bagano. Like, I'm not even joking. It's got little Boba Fett running around. Like, this movie has everything. Oh, yeah, baby Boba. I know, they do interesting things to that character in uh, Clone Wars, so I'm not going to complain about it. Okay, whatever. I just think the movie was really funny. Like, there's no part of it I didn't enjoy. Anakin's wishing that he could wish away his feelings. And (laughs) And they live in the real world, so come back to it. (laughs) Padme's talking about, like, you're training to be a Jedi? I'm a senator. (laughs) We can't date Oh, right. And this is the one where she's like, my Annie, how you've grown. And I'm like, that's creepy, though. You've grown. <laughs> grown more beautiful, I mean. Well, for a senator, I mean. <laughs> oh, and she's like, wow, you something about how he sounds mature. And then that's like immediately followed by the line of him being like, I wish Obi-Wan thought so. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> someone's a grown up. I guess it- not. It's also the one where Obi-Wan is pursuing somebody, so he just fucking jumps out a window to yes! latch onto a, a droid. What? <laughs> anyway, 10 out of 10. I'm hoping Solo becomes so bad it's good, but honestly, it was just kind of boring, so <laughs> we'll find out. Yeah, I'm not sure that it I'm not sure that it will quite get there. Anyway, we're running long on this segment, but do you want to talk about something that's so bad it's bad? The damsel in distress? <laughs> Well, maybe it's not always so bad it's bad. Maybe sometimes it's good. Find out in just a moment. Hey, guys. This is Charlie, and this is our ride. Hey. Old Rusty is reliable. Our fun segments used to be very trope. Centric. In fact, I think they were just trope segments when we first started this. Yeah. So we wanted to bring back good use of trope, bad use of trope, or more like our worst uh, examples of it and our best examples of it. And we decided to pick a trope that's pretty common that we have some feelings about. And that is the damsel in distress. Uh, now, can anyone define what damsel in distress is? Because it's incredibly straightforward. <laughs> Julia, um, why don't you do it? Why do I always have to define things? Because that's what you do. You're a teacher. So the damsel in distress is basically when you have a female character who's in some kind of peril that she is unable to remove herself from. And by definition, she's never the protagonist. Mm -hmm. Or else that's something else. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And 
she's usually a love interest.、Mm-hmm. And she's usually some kind of endpoint or like, you know, objective of some kind in some kind of heroic quest. Right. So, like, the picture on the tropes page is Princess Peach. She was actually one of our examples of a bad use of this trope.、Um, she's almost always, we're not counting like Super Smash and any of that, but in the Mario titles, It's always like Peach has somehow been imprisoned and she's in a painting, or Bowser grabbed her and wants to marry her, and, and Mario has to stop it. Right, right. And then, like, the only existence、yeah. of the character is a lot of the times it's just to be like a reward or a prize. Or, like you said, I think putting it as like she's a quest goal. Yeah. Or yeah. like the main protagonist whose chances are going to be male because. Well, like. Yeah, quite,、right. quite literally in、uh, Super Mario 64, you, you free Peach and she just floats down, gives you a nose kiss, and says, I'm going to bake you a cake. <laughs> and then the credits roll. Wow. What kind of well, cake I mean, is she, it, though? Well, to be fair, it, it looked like a vanilla buttercream cake, but to be fair, at the beginning、mm. of the game has her going, Mario, please come to the castle. I've baked a cake for you. Yours truly, Princess Toadstool, Peach. Ah, so it was, it was a, I guess you were、was、promised a, a cake. cake? Yeah, you were promised a cake、yeah. and then she delivered on it. She lied though. In the letter, she said she baked it. And then after you free her, she goes, let's bake you a delicious cake. Well, maybe just the cake has gone like stale at this point. Right. Because she kept on being moved to another castle. So now she's like, I can't give Mario this stale cake. I gotta bake him a new one. Yeah, well, that's fine. But, you know, the world record for 120 stars is two, like under two hours. So whatever. I don't know what that means. But don't worry, speedrunning, darling. Speedrunning. Okay. Anyway, other examples of damsel distress. I don't know why my mind went to this, but the newest Turf Wars, the Legend of Korra comics. Asami was just like randomly kidnapped. I mean, she kind of freed herself, so it's fine, but like, it's also not fine because it was stupid. The <laughs> end. Well, yeah. I mean, she was basically like, filled a very stereotypical role of like, Hero's girlfriend, who is somehow put in、mm-hmm. danger so that the hero has stakes involved.、Mm-hmm. And I mean, does it, it matter that the hero is not a man in this case? Or no, <laughs> like, did they get any credit for that at all? How does he, how does Asami feel? Say no one ever. I mean, you're not wrong about that. That is actually,、mm-hmm. and actually, one of the reasons that this is like so stereotypical tropey is that. You know, one of the features of Damsel Distress is that it like unites the other players around saving her.、Mm-hmm. And in this case, it was like literally Korra teamed up with a triad member to find the secret passages she should have already known about. Yeah, that's true. And the ones that they used in season one. The only thing they got mild props for is that Asami freed herself, but it was such a contrived situation that she was captured in in the first place that it's like, I don't know, it's just hard to be like, yeah, good job. Right, because that's another feature I think that is really common with the damsel in distress is like, it only, it's so, it's very much like, oh, this happened because plot. Plot、right. demanded that this person be kidnapped. With someone like Asami's case, it's like, look, we, kn- we know that she is actually capable, like a capable fighter and can hold her own against even benders. We've seen her do it multiple times.、Mm-hmm. So her getting kidnapped is like, Against almost like works against character, so that makes it plot contrived. It, it wasn't even plot necessary, like, she, whatever, right? Yeah, I don't want to talk about Turf Wars 4. We actually had a Fundamentals Plus only live stream about it. If you want to hear my full thoughts on like part three and Turf Wars in general, 
then you should subscribe and check it out. All right. Uh, what are some other ones? I mean, we talked about Princess Peach, Turf Wars. Um, I only, like, I've only seen a couple of episodes, but I know that a lot of people complain about Merlin. Um, mm. Because in the first season, like, Guinevere is this really, like, badass, powerful, capable character. And then in season two, like, literally as soon as, like, Merlin figures out he likes her, she becomes kind of helpless and gets kidnapped and, like, botches a couple of escape attempts um, and is just basically, oh. like, exists so that, like, Merlin, who likes her, can, like, save her. But then in season three, she goes back to actually being, like, badass and powerful again. So it kind of just exists for her to be, like, the stereotypical, like, come save me. Yeah. Then I'll make you a cake. Then I'll make you a cake. <laughs> yeah. Aren't there also Disney examples of the damsel in distress? I'm thinking, like, Snow White and uh, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, I mean, you could say... I mean, I, I think the fact that they're the protagonists, technically, of the story, except mm. Sleeping Beauty, the fairies are the protagonists, but whatever. Um, <laughs> that's a good... Who wrote that? Kind was of, that Bo? Yeah. No, no. It was Zach. Zach. Oh, that's yeah. such a good piece. Yeah. yeah it's an extremely good piece. Um, but I think the fact that they are, like, you know, the, the movies are called Sleeping Beauty and Snow White, I think that kind of puts it outside this trope. Does it? That's why I raised the tone at the end of that because it's a question. Uh, I mean, the first Legend of Zelda, she is mm -hmm. just go find her. She's in danger. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Zelda's but come like, a long way. Neither of so. the princes in that movie. No, okay, Prince Philip has a name, but like they're not like they're barely characters, right? So you can't say it's about like their journey to save the princess. Well, it's not really about case. the princess's journeys either. I don't know what it's about. <laughs> Sleeping well, Beauties. I think it's about like what color her dress is going to be. Right. Well, I mean, they're fairy tales, so they're, like, moralistic yeah. stories. Um, yeah. I mean, the point of the stories is, like, apparently, like, don't take things from witches. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was more just Be trying more to... like Jesus. Right. right. I was just trying to think of the very stereotypical princess in the tower imagery and all that. Which is interesting because, like, Disney so much these days trades on, like, we don't have damsels in distress. And I'm like, but how many of your movies actually do, though? Right. You know, mm -hmm. like, there's this image of the Disney princess as being kind of, like, helpless and not doing anything, but there aren't really a lot of movies in which that actually applies when you start looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, Little Mermaid, you know, Eric has to kind of solve most of that issue with Ursula because Ariel's just kind of there. But yeah, I think that, she yeah, that end was kind of annoying to me. Yeah. I think that might be what gives it a wrap. And then, you know, Jasmine is more active in the sense that she sneaks out once. And then she also distracts Jafar with sexiness. Ew. And Jasmine is like uh. assertive, right? Yeah, she's sassy. Yeah. And she's overly sexualized. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, th I think it's just tough because it's like sometimes they have this veneer of like, oh, strong character. She doesn't mm -hmm. need no man, but she kind of does. They almost always end up getting married in the earlier iterations. Yes. Right. And the thing, too, about the Disney princesses is that, like, their end game always seemed to be, like, get me a man. Yeah. And, you know, Disney Renaissance kind of merged it into, let me know who I am, and I also get this man. Right. Where, like, he's... he. Maybe he becomes the, like, magical prize she gets at the end after her quest of self-discovery. <laughs> exactly. I'm down with that. Anyway... <laughs> 
Um, so we need to talk about, like... Good ones. No, no, we need to talk about, like, the screamy damsel in distress. The or example of which being Willie Scott, Indiana Jones, and the Temple of Doom, which is, like, what were they thinking with this character? Like, first you have Short Round, who I have a soft spot for. He's already... He's enough screaming in that movie. You don't need this, like, really... Yep. Annoying lady of limited intelligence and limited actual values to (laughs) keep screaming. That was the worst choice in writing a female character Mm. for Indiana Jones. Like, there's a part of me that's like, I don't even know. I don't even know why he wants to have sex with her. Like, I really don't. There's actually a lot of uh, Bond movies that are similar, too, in in the usefulness. Like, there's some Bond girls. Like, Holly Goodhead is an astronaut, so, okay, she she passes. But there's some of them, like, Goodnight from The Man with the Golden Gun, who, like, dooms them all with her butt when she accidentally (laughs) presses a button, and then Bond has to, like... Bond yeah. has to stop the fight season to like go protect her and or, like, stuff. Or like these these like supposed trained spies who think it's perfectly appropriate to just like change the bikini in the middle of their like job. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like Willie just like I put her on this list mm-hmm. because when I think when I think damsel in distress, she's like the yeah. epitome because she's useless. Yeah. Like she's absolutely useless. She all she does is get in the way. <laughs> like and, I, and they like I complain about right. everything. She gets in the way. She complains about everything. She yells in this super high pitched voice. Like she's the like er example of just like she yeah. exists to be rescued while yeah. screaming. She exists just just like we should probably have like a female love interest in this movie. Let's make it this one. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> What's her plot function? I don't know. She screams a lot. Indy, Indy. Hey. So yep. what are good examples of this trope? Well, I think that one indication that you're a good damsel in distress is that you eventually become a general and lead an army. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah. let's say Princess Leia, who, like, I mean, when you think about the original Star Wars trilogy, or especially the original movie, like, she is this trope. That's what she is. Yeah, they're going to rescue her, like Luke, yeah. Luke yep. says that. Yep. And she's completely, like, like, she's pretty powerless to help herself. But yeah. it's kind of understandable. Like, I mean, like, it's this trope played straight, but like, you know, as TV trope says, tropes aren't necessarily bad. Right. So it's just they take this trope, they play it straight, but it's done well. Yep. It's probably as good as you can do this trope straight. Right. Because as soon as, as soon as she has the ability to like defend herself, she does. Which I find improbable. I kind of find it improbable that she wasn't a complete mess during that entire rescue, but whatever. Eh, she's, you know. She's a smart mouth. Yeah, she's very resilient, yeah, I guess. She's, she's just fine. burying everything, really. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I yeah, it, I don't think of her as a damsel in distress because I think of her as also yeah. being very capable. She was just yeah. in a position where, like, you're trapped in the middle of a giant floating space station with, like, an evil dark lord who has magic powers. Like, literally, what are you going to do? Other but than also, be a She smart gets mouth. captured once a movie in the original trilogy, at least. She's captured by the Empire in every single movie. Well, she was captured with other people in uh, <laughs> right. in Empire Strikes Back, at least. Yeah. And but she at and, least yeah. in the third movie she fights her way out. You know, yeah. like in Return of the Jedi, like she literally kills the man who enslaves her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not man, giant space slug. And she was doing that to try to save her princess in the tower. So yep, that's true. Like that makes it a little better. Yep. I actually honestly think. Um, Legend of Zelda 
kind of bridges a little bit of a Leia line where mm. Zelda is legit. And I'm talking more modern Zelda's. She legitimately is in danger a fair amount of times and like Link needs to help, but they also, you know, they give her healing power and she usually has in very, very, um, intense part of the plot. Like, mm-hmm. like in Breath of the Wild, Link is the playable character, but Zelda's the main character. So maybe she just isn't really a good example of this trope. But the, the premise of the game that you're playing is that she's literally like trapped in this eternal battle with Ganon and you need to arrive like, you know, a hundred years late with Starbucks to tip the battle in her favor. That's, that's the game. Mm-hmm. But you, like everything you learn about her, it's all her decisions. It's all about her legacy, her duty. Link is just there. I don't really know why we play as him, to be honest. <laughs> Ocarina of Time is maybe a more classic example of what I think is a good use of this trope. She does get imprisoned, like, in a diamond. But leading up to that moment, we did find out that she's holding the Triforce of Wisdom. We find out about all of her healing powers and that she was disguising herself as a Sheikah and helping Link out for, like, seven years she was doing this. So, I don't know. It, it, like, imbues her with agency and it really is just like a, yeah, she'd get trapped in this situation. But then as soon as she's freed, she's going to help out and fight in whatever way she can. Yeah. So... Yeah. yeah, I'll say that's a good use of trope. <laughs> no. Uh, I like The Princess Bride because <laughs> it's a satire. And the whole point, <laughs> like, the whole point is to, like, kind of make fun of stories that, you know, get told this way. Um, especially because I've read, um, I've read the book. And in the book, it's much more obvious that you're not meant to take anything at face value, like you're meant to see this story as a blatant satire of both like 19th century, like realism novels, like Les Mis and Moby Dick. And like, um, because the subtitle is the good parts version. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and the whole conceit of it is like, this is like the action plot that has been distilled from like a, like a thousand page novel, um, (laughs) where he like cuts out like the, yeah, it's, like, meant to be read as, like, a satire. And so when I watch the movie, I'm like, oh, right, yeah, Princess Buttercup is, like, a satire of the damsel in distress. That's why, like, her characteristics are that she's pretty and she's dumb. Like, because, <laughs> like, because it's literally, like, all she's, just, like, in the book, there's, like, a couple of paragraphs that talk about, like, she's the most beautiful woman in the world but also really stupid. And the whole point <laughs> is, like, make fun of characters who exist like this because it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So when I watch that movie, I, I mean, I take it as like a big old mockery of the damsel in distress. And that's part of what I enjoy about it. Speaking of mockery, space boss. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that actually takes a very similar edge. Like yeah. the, the Leia character is just more about the idea of the trope that of the damsel in distress, but mm-hmm. she's just a very, very spoiled, like Jewish American princess. Yep. <laughs> she's from planet Druidia. <laughs> they like outright call her a Jewish princess. That's right. But then she's like kind of like complaining. Uh, she makes them carry her industrial strength hairdryer around the desert for a while. <laughs> like all this ridiculous shit. There's one point where the, where she's handed a gun and she's like, I'm not going to fire this. And then someone shoots her hair and she attacks everyone. <laughs> well, it's she, just, she's got all her matching luggage. When she's yeah. actually captured, the threat is that the bad guy is going to revert her nose to what it looked like pre nose job. Oh, that's right. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous, but it's hilarious. Mm -hmm. I think, anyway. 
Yeah. We're running a little long in this segment, but any other uh, good examples you guys can think of? I mean, we can talk about A Song of Ice and Fire and how it... I, I can think of two ways that it kind of, like, plays with this trope. The first one just being Sansa in general, where it's basically, like, she, like, she is a damsel in distress. Like, she's in this situation where she can't really get herself out of it, and she's, like, making the best of it. But it's, like, about her. And yeah. it's about how, like... She's not actually helpless and she's not actually passive in this situation. Right. It's it's like inside the damsel in distress's head for several novels. Yeah. Mm, that's a really good way of putting it. And then there's a character who literally has a chapter called The Princess in the Tower. Who might <laughs> that character be? I've never <laughs> That would be Ariane Martel. And Wait, what? You guys like Ariane Martel? <laughs> Isn't she only in like the last book? <laughs> I'm not. Isn't I've, she probably going to die in the next one? Um, after she marries after Aegon. Aegon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Kylie, that was great. Uh, anyway, do you? I saying? mean, like, what, what I like about this is that, like, basically, the chapter is about she ends up in this tower. She tries to escape. She like tries several plans on how to escape, and then she gets really, really depressed, and she goes on a hunger strike. Yeah. I think the helpful thing, too, is that, like, she wasn't put in the tower to be, like, you know, punishment for some guy or something. Like, yeah. She earned her place in that tower <laughs> with some light treason. <laughs> right? Yeah. And then she then she talks herself out of it. So. Yeah. And it's like, she doesn't talk herself out of it by talking herself out of it. She just, like. Talks to her dad for the first time in like ten years. Maybe it's almost like it's not about her being imprisoned and about something else, right? Exactly. Well, and you, uh. like you bring up a, a good point of mm-hmm. you know some I guess some of the more serious examples that we chose for like the best use are situations where like a female character is in danger or mm-hmm. imprisoned somehow, but we know that she's taking the the agency available to her. Like, yeah. she's not being made passive or, like, stripped of all power or agency. Well, like, the thing about Sansa is that, like, she's helpless to – she's helpless to change her situation in many ways, but that doesn't make her weak. Yes. Yep. You know, like, what Sansa's challenging that notion is that, like, female passivity, whatever, like, just, like, being a helpless woman in a patriarchal society makes you inherently weak. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, and that and- was why two of the examples I put down were um, uh, the first parts of the Caribbean movie – um, because I think, yeah, I think like Elizabeth Swan is a good example of someone who like takes the agency available to her, even in a society that like, um, she doesn't really have a lot of inherent agency, but she like makes her own. And apparently all of that is from Kara Knightley. Um, Kara Knightley <laughs> added in like those bits into the movie. I think in the original script, like Elizabeth Swan was meant to be a much more passive, like straightforward damsel in distress character. Okay. Um, doesn't surprise me that Kira Knightley is a driving force behind changing that. Um, and then the other one I put down was Mad Max Fury Road because right. you have like the women that they end up rescuing and they're in a similar situation in a patriarchal society where you have these captive women and there's not a whole lot they can do to change the society or even their immediate situation, but they take the agency available to them. And then when they're given the option to have more agency, they take it and they're badass. And like, they take that power and do something with it. Um, yeah. And I think it does help in a lot of cases too, to like, maybe Sansa notwithstanding, but Leia, certainly Zelda as an example, Ariane, I think it helps that 
the reasons they of their captivity it was not just random and for the benefit of another character but it was literally like why was leia you know up for execution on the yeah, death star because because of her like not so like treason <laughs> right exactly <laughs> another thing she has in common with Ariane. yeah and yeah and i mean the same goes for zelda and some of the better later games too that's not it's not all the case i mean there's been a lot of zelda games so it's it's kind of uneven to be honest but at least the games i enjoy uh she took an active part in trying to thwart ganon and that's what put her in danger Mm. so i think that helps too anyway let us know your favorite and least favorite examples of princess in the tower or damsel in distress i yeah damsel in distress we didn't even mention shrek aren't we We horrible (sighs) We don't have to mention Shrek, it's fine. It's okay. Somebody will in the comments. I'm sure. Shrek is enjoyable enough. Anyway, we are going to now close out by talking about TV shows. So bad, they're good. I'm a damsel. I'm in distress. I can handle this. All right, so we mentioned films that are so bad, they're good. And I actually had a harder time coming up with TV shows, partly because I don't too. watch as much TV. Yeah. Um... I tend to watch TV shows that are good. They're so good, they're good. Right, I quit on shows that are bad. Right, if I'm not enjoying my... Well, because it's a bigger time commitment. Like, watching one two-hour movie that's so bad is good is, like, cool. But watching, you know, 20 episodes? No, thank Mm -hmm. you. That's, like, 20 hours of my life. I'm not going to devote it to that. Mm -hmm. But I did come up with a couple. So my favorite is, like, uh, conspiracy theory-style shows on the History Channel. (laughs) Yes, mm-hmm. or just like anything on the History Channel lately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, or just like oh, just like oh, wildly wildly inaccurate. Because when I was a kid, I used to love this show called Great Castles of Europe, and I watched oh. a few episodes like recently, and I was just like, "What you just said is like wrong." Right. And the other thing you said that's like so misleading that it you can call it wrong. It's like right. no, you're kind of painting that situation in a way that completely sensationalizes it and is also wrong. Yeah. Yep. Sounds about right. Yeah. I mean, they had this whole thing where they're like, Isabella of Castile poisoned everybody. This is like Lydia from my Claudius all of a sudden. And you're just like, okay. Yep. Cur- I mean, my... No, go ahead. I was just going to say, my impression of the History Channel is mm-hmm. kind of like, didn't they have that documentary about how there's mer people? Pro- oh, and probably. And the government's hiding it. <laughs> right. The, like, these are the... Sh- the you're, what you're talking about is exactly the kind of show that is so terrible mm-hmm. Like, it's objectively yeah. just, like, they're usually, like, poorly – they're not always badly filmed, but, like, um, it's basically just, like, conjecture, conjecture, conjecture. Yeah. But maybe. Um, and they're so it's terrible. Like, it's like, it's so um, ridiculous. Shows that try to, like, explain the Bible scientifically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, my current favorite – so my partner and I are watching um, this one about Tesla – um, oh, and, right. and it's all about how like the government has um hidden away all of his like papers and experiments and one of them is probably about like a weapon of mass destruction that might be like what the the secret reason behind this natural disaster that occurred in Russia was actually like Tesla's death ray and what? the Tunguska incident? Yes. Yeah. That yeah. they're like, oh, this is Tesla, Tesla's death ray. And like the, the US government is hiding it. And I was like, this no, is it was probably a comment. <laughs> right. It was probably a comment that burned in on entry, but like this is really enjoyable to watch because they take it so seriously. Like oh the, the people who make these shows are like, they believe aliens. wholeheartedly. Yeah. I like when they hire fake scientists to 
be like, yes, here's the reasons. And then you find out that these are just literally fake scientists. Yeah, or like the ancient aliens guy who's just like, aliens, aliens. Yeah, I love those shows. They're so bad, but they're really, like, they're really fun to watch because they're they're just people sincerely believe these things. We Ryan and I watched one about like searching for treasure or like maybe there was one about like called the I think it was called the hunt for Hitler and like the theory behind it was like Hitler's still alive. Oh yeah, in Argentina God. or something. <laughs> yeah. There was an Agatha Christie novel like that. It was about like like the guy who died in the bunker was actually this like lunatic from an insane asylum who thought he was Hitler, and apparently there's, like, at least two or three in every lunatic asylum or something. Oh, I've forgotten which one that is. And then, like, Hitler had a baby. Oh. And it sounds like, like the Phantom of the Opera sequel now. Yeah. That does sound really I don't strange. know. It's an Agatha Christie novel. It's, oh. like, one of the, the ones that, like, Agatha Christie fans don't talk about. All right, Agatha, stick to the other <laughs> stuff. That's probably yeah. why I haven't read it. But, yeah, so that's one of my favorites. Sure. That's a good, that's a hardy choice. Yep. Uh, for similar reasons, uh, CSI Miami. <laughs> oh my god! Because Any CSI, yeah. I actually, I actually genuinely enjoy the first one, the okay. original. But CSI, I'm not sure I could tell you the difference. CSI Miami was so melodramatic, and the acting was so bad, so bad. Isn't there like this one character who talks to the corpses? Right, and they're yeah. like lens flare, <laughs> like it's like lens flares everywhere. I just like the. Like science porn sequences that they have, where it's just this—it's like, porno music yeah. playing yeah. as they're doing science labby stuff. Yeah, they're like, like "Look at the, me use a this? dropper pipette while like Kanye <laughs> plays in the background or something." Because it'll be like either like porn sounding music or like hit like current like top forty style, you know, like current hits. And you're like, "What does what does this song have to do with like?" A centrifuge. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Nothing. I think in general, procedurals have a high chance of being so bad they're good. That's a good point. Because they just get run into the ground with the formula and then it eventually gets ridiculous. Right. They almost become like parodies of themselves, but they're not trying to be like parodies Like murder of she wrote. Yes. <laughs> like every, everywhere this woman goes, people are dying. Poor Angela Lansbury. <laughs> it's so true. She's in this tiny town and like... What is it, Maine? Yeah. Like she some- usually travels to visit one of her nieces or nephews, of whom she has like an interminable amount. I mean, it's like Miss Marple having like, <laughs> yeah, always knowing everybody and has like a couple of yeah. kids and grandkids and stuff. So, um, but yeah, yeah. And Miss Marple you- only has one nephew who pays for all of her vacations. That's right. Yeah, she's always just like, yes, my nephew Raymond, he has paid for this vacation to the Caribbean so I can solve this mystery. <laughs> hey, Julia, what did uh, what did you come up with? Well, the only thing, cause, like, because I only tend to like good TV shows lately, that's like British Nordic War series. Oh, okay. We're talking about police. I hate police procedurals, but I love British Nordic War series. I don't know. But um, the only thing I really think of was like Real Housewife style shows. Mm. Oh, for just, sure. Reality shows. Yeah. Yeah. But just like really trashy reality shows about terrible people that's that's like it's not like a competition like at least like the bachelor bachelor you can kind of say oh it's a competition show but this is just like like insane like people with no taste and too much money and you're just watching their lives and you're i mean jersey shore is great for that reason yeah like why am i doing this i don't know but i'm gonna keep watching i have to find out what happens with luann i just i have to (laughs) 
<laughs> I like, yeah, like real world even. That's not people with too much money, but it's just, you know, shoving a bunch of horny people together in one house. Like, yeah, okay. That's the plot. That's the plot of yeah. this. But like That's at some great. point you just kind of feel like a bad person for continuing to watch this, especially when like several of the people on the show clearly like should be seeking medical attention rather than being on TV. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I will, I'll, I will defend Bachelor and Bachelorette. You know, it might be a competition, but it's definitely still a bad show that is so mm-hmm. bad it's good. Cause I mean, maybe it's the burning love effect. It's just, there's no way to not enjoy it. It's so melodramatic. They always obviously cast the villain and you can tell that the like star doesn't want this person around and is being told by production to keep this person around. Mm, yeah. Like so much of it. It's just so like, you can see when something happens that, you know, maybe was a little bit dramatic or unexpected and how excited abc gets about it and how they promote <laughs> it and the way it's spliced together and the way the musical cues go in like, one of the more recent seasons of the bachelor he changed his mind after proposing and was like no i wanted to go with the girl i didn't propose with i don't know what i was thinking so he went to revoke his proposal and basically break up with the the girl who thought that they were engaged afterwards and it, they filmed it in such a weird way where they kept one camera on her face and one camera on his face. But rather than shot reverse shot, they like just put it both on the screen. They split so, screened it? Weird. They split screened it. So we just saw both of their reactions. And then she like ran off to cry in the bathroom and the cameras pressed to the door while she's crying. Oh, it's, no. it's great. No, it's okay. Cause then she became the bachelorette. I love it. Okay. And, I got Griffin to watch Bachelorette with me and he loved it because it's, you know, again, so bad it's good. The dates are ridiculous. It's like, you guys are going to put on a stand-up comedy act and you're the comedians. But then it gets increasingly like you can see their budget's bad. So (laughs) one of their dates was like, let's play dodgeball in a gym and here's some children. What? Like, (laughs) here's some 10-year-olds and they're playing dodgeball too. What? (laughs) That was a date. It's just, it's great. I, I love, I love how bad it is. I love the, the flow of it. The only thing I don't love is that it's like two hours on air because the mm-hmm. commercials take up 42 minutes. Do they um, actually though? Are you exaggerating there? No. I mean, oh I haven't God. timed it, but that's exactly what it feels like. And I can tell you that these are two hour affairs. Wow. So watch it the next day. But I will also say, um, I'm totally the reason that like so bad it's good is is the topic of this week and i'm the reason i thought of it was because of tv shows specifically glee <laughs> like mm. i was listening to the glee uh what would you call it not remix um cover of smooth criminal by michael jackson ah i always forget that's michael jackson song because that cover of it by group that i forget is so much better than the michael jackson version is and that's the one you always hear is it the one with the cellos at the beginning i don't know but it's just so much better than michael jackson so yeah like glee is an interesting show (laughs) in that it's not very good like the plot is not good the characters are not all that well written um it was kind of just like if you were into theater or queer this was all you had it's this or subtext on kim possible so i hope you like you know santana being mean to everyone because she's closeted because that's what you're getting it was uneven it was melodramatic 
regionals was every other week. I, I don't understand <laughs> what they were always competing for and what all this was. Community actually had a wonderful riff on like Glee as a concept. They did it. It was an invasion of the body snatchers type thing. And that's why they're all singing. But the show itself, it was just the songs were good. And you just watch it for that. And and Smooth Criminal, that episode, I think, encompasses the bad goodness of the show. Because that's a remix. And it's it's um, Naya Rivera singing with uh, Grant. Oh, man. What's that guy's name? Who plays Barry Allen on The Flash? Grant something or other. I don't know. And they do this remix with, have you ever heard of, like, two cello guys? Yep. They Yeah. yeah. So they do all these cool remixes. So it's this cool, like dueling cello thing at the beginning and they're singing their face off about smooth criminal and it's awesome and i can listen to that every day and my niece loves that cover of it too which is why i was thinking about it which niece the baby niece the very baby niece or the older niece the regular baby niece that belongs to my sister she was clapping along with it (laughs) she's really into clapping apparently she loves clapping it's her favorite thing to do right now and then everyone claps when she claps wow (laughs) anyway the the thing is, they were singing Smooth Criminal because Santana accused the Flash of putting something in a slushy that he then threw into someone's face, and he threw it into someone's face to take him out of commission to sing in regionals. Okay. And by the it was rock salt, by the way. He put rock salt in a slushy and threw it in someone's face and scratched his cornea. And so she was trying to get a confession out of him about this because one of the Glee clubs decided their only way to win at regionals was to play Michael, sing Michael Jackson songs. But Barry Allen's Glee club group also wanted to sing Michael Jackson songs. So they were like having a Michael Jackson off. But then a kid got, you know, hospitalized over this. Mm. So Santana puts on a, like a, Carmen Sandiego fedora investigator cap and a trench coat and has a running tape recorder and she goes to confront him and is like, you put something in that slushy. And he says, oh, well, there's only one way to solve this. We have to sing off or whatever. So then the room clears out and they sing Smooth Criminal together, but it's only them and the two cello guys in the room. So there's no way to determine who sang better and I guess if she sang better, that proves his guilt. And if he sang better, that proves his innocence. It's like a weird witch trial kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> and, then, and then he admits to throwing rock salt in the guy's face. And she has it on tape. And then she tells everyone else about it. They're like, well, he could get in trouble. It's like, what? And then that's the episode. That. Okay. Is it ever brought up again? Any of this? Um, well... Yeah, I mean, Barry Allen kind of stays like the villain of the season. Okay. So, kind of. I think this is also the same episode where, um, what's her face? Uh, Leah Michelle gets engaged in high school, because why not? Oh. But, I mean, I Yeah, know those marriages always last. Glee! That's Glee. And it is so bad, it's good. Because if you. If you don't just fast forward to watch the musical numbers and you actually try to watch the plot, that's what you're dealing with. You're dealing with Santana accusing Sebastian of putting things in a slushie and then they settle it by singing Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. All mm. right. I mean, that's a that's a thing. Yeah. I don't really get that's... it, but I'm sure. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it got you Jill out of gifts, so whatever. Okay, I guess, I guess that's undeniable. Mm. Anyway, I would recommend that or any other kind of melodramatic show. OC is another show I kind of like put on my list because it's just... Gossip Girl. Yes. Mm. Uh, but overall, I wouldn't actually recommend putting time into shows that are bad. <laughs> that is a big commitment. It is, yeah. Yeah, which is why I think why we had fewer, it's definitely why we had fewer options. Yeah, I heartily recommend bad movies, though. Yeah. It's just a fun thing to do. Or watching reviews of bad movies on YouTube, even better. Uh, Or MST3K, (laughs) which is, you know, not really a review, but like a sarcastic commentary of a bad movie. I definitely recommend Catalina Caper. That one's my favorite. (laughs) That is a good one. All right, let us wrap up here. Let us know, of course, your favorite bad media that you enjoy. Uh, otherwise, you should consider telling your friends about this podcast, and they will not judge you at all for it and think that you were pretty cool for giving them such a solid recommendation. Exactly. You should also consider consider continue to visit thefundamentals.com, where you can read our fundamentally sound fandom analysis, in addition to other things, find our other podcasts, and possibly become a subscriber and get our super cool guarded content. Yes. Uh, that is about all, though, so I guess we're going to pop on out of here. But thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Goodbye. you're suffering as much as I am, please tell me. I can't. We can't. It's just not possible. Anything is possible, Padme. Listen to me. No, you listen. We live in a real world. Come back to it. You're studying to become a Jedi. I'm, I'm a senator. If you follow your thoughts through to conclusion... It'll take us to a place we cannot go, regardless of the way we feel about each other. Then you do feel something. I will not let you give up your future for me. You are asking me to be rational. That is something I know I cannot do. Believe me, I wish that I could just wish away my feelings, but I can't. I will not give in to this.